Thanks for tuning in to the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suju Organic, where we inspire, educate, and provide advice and insights around those who are in the sports business and entertainment industry. Please follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at Life in the Front Office. And don't forget to follow and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Lastly, get your 15% off Suja at sujaorganic.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O, and enjoy today's episode. Welcome to today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Sujo Organic. Excited to have my guest in, Brian Kane, a fellow podcaster, fellow author. He's a speaker, coach, consultant, mental performance coach, uh, nonetheless, most important to note. And Brian, really excited to have you on the podcast today to talk about the work that you do with executives, athletes, uh, even Olympians, and just uh, your mindset around not only just life, but um, getting better each day. And so welcome. Hirsch, glad to be here, man. Thanks for having me. I love that, uh, you know, you're, you're constantly focused on just being a better individual and helping others be better individuals on a daily basis. Um, you know, you've got your 10 pillars of mental performance mastery. We'll get into a little bit of that. And I want to start out, though, like you were a former high school athletic director and professor. So how do you go from that to mental performance coach? Well, I think before you go to that, you got to rewind even a little bit further to Let's when I it. was college baseball's biggest failure. And I think I was college baseball's biggest failure. That's why I'm probably now baseball's most sought after mental performance coach. And you learn to make your mess, your masterpiece and to make adversity your advantage. I went to the university of Vermont was a phys ed major on a big baseball scholarship and failed mightily. And it wasn't because I didn't work hard. It wasn't because I didn't have a good attitude. It was solely because I focused on the wrong aspects of performance. I focused on outcomes I could not control instead of a process that I could. And everyone tells you your whole life, if you work hard, you're going to have success. And it's completely false if you're working hard at the wrong things, right? They fail to tell you, you have to work hard at the right tasks. You have to work smart and hard. It's not one or the other, it's both. But if you just work hard and not smart, you know, you know, when you hit the grindstone, what happens is eventually when you keep grinding, it turns to dust. And that's what happened to my career. So I went on a mission to find out what it was that I needed to learn. And I came across a book, July 4th, 2000 at a Barnes and Noble in Boston called Heads Up Baseball by a guy named Ken Revisa. And I have Ken Revisa's face tattooed on my chest. And my daughter's middle name is Kendall. That's how much the guy meant to me as I went and did a master's with him in two, for two years as a grad assistant coach with Cal State Fullerton, going to Omaha in 03, winning a national championship they did in 04. And when I got my master's there, I went there to try to be a baseball coach. And I wanted to be a pitching coach. And when I got there and I started to learn under Ken Revisa, I said, man, this, this is what I want to do. I want to coach mental performance. I want to coach routines, mindset, consistency, confidence, how to prepare at an elite level, how to be a better leader, how to create a culture and an organization or a team that gives you the best chance for success by saying, this is what's the right behaviors. This is what we do. That's us. This is not us. That's not what we do. And bringing that sort of clarity something that I kind of experienced with my high school football coach that changed my life, but was something that I really didn't experience when I was in college and something that I wanted to explore more of and learn how to coach. So I ended up graduating with a master's in sports psychology in 2003. And when you graduate with a master's in sports psychology, there's no jobs still to this day, like there's no jobs. And now professional sports organizations will have a mental performance coach, but typically they come in from the clinical psychology round realm, not necessarily the performance psychology round, which is, which is where I came in from. So 
I go back to Vermont. I got $900 to my name, sitting on a curb, crying outside of Omaha because we got eliminated from the College World Series. Phone rings. And it's a Troy Parody, who is a phys ed teacher at Champlain Valley Union High School in Vermont, who, when I was a student in Vermont, I used to work for the athletic department. And I would do the scoreboard. I would play the music. I would fill in for announcing. I would do everything athletic administration that they'd allow me to do because it's kind of what I wanted to do. I was into it. And I got paid to do it. So he calls me and says, hey, man, I'm watching the College World Series. Sorry to hear Fullerton didn't get it done. But, hey, we got a phys ed opening. What are you doing? And I'm like, well. I want to be a college baseball coach. I got the yips. I can't throw BP. I'm 23 years old. I don't have a job. I got $900 in my name. I'm sitting on a curb outside of Omaha and I got a one-way ticket back to Massachusetts and I don't want to live at home. What am I going to do? Yeah, I'll take the job. So I literally like take the job on the phone, interview the next day, get the job. And I show up day one and I think I'm te teaching team sports and phys ed and I'm teaching health in phys ed, a lot different than what I thought I was getting into. So do that for a year. I'm a high school football and softball coach and then I become a high school athletic director at 24 years old. I got one of the five full-time AD jobs in Vermont. And at that same time, Fullerton wins a national championship and Dave Serrano, the pitching coach, goes to take over the UC Irvine job. So he calls me and says, hey, Brian, you know, Ken works with, you, with Long Beach and Ken works with Fullerton. We'd be interested in bringing you in. I said, Dave, you're bringing me in because you don't have the budget to pay for Ken to visit, right? He goes, yeah, exactly. I said, all right, fly me in. I'll come in once a month. So I start flying from Vermont to Irvine, California, once a month to work with his baseball team doing sports psychology. That summer, he's on the Team USA staff with TCU and Vanderbilt, the first three teams I pick up. Right? Jim, Jim Slosnagel from TCU, Tim Corbin from Vanderbilt, Dave Serrano, the three coaches of Team USA. The first three teams I pick up, Irvine, Vandy, TCU. TCU's got Matt Carpenter, Jake Arrieta, Brian Holiday. Vanderbilt's got Ryan Flaherty, David Macias, who are now both major league coaches with the San yeah, Diego Padres. Yeah. Work with David. David. David Price, who won a Cy Young. Pedro Alvarez, who was a Major League Baseball All-Star, I think, right? I mean, so loaded with talent. Two Cy Young Award winners on those first two teams I worked with. And at the same time, I pick up a UFC fighter by the name of George St. Pierre out of Montreal, which is 90 minutes north from where I was living at the time. So then it starts going. And I go from three teams to six teams to 12 teams to 20 teams. And I'm leaving, literally leaving the office on Friday, driving to the airport, catching a late night flight, getting somewhere about midnight, grinding all day with a team Saturday. And then Sunday, kicking in the red eye back to Vermont, getting in, landing, literally driving three hours to our school where I was at from the airport and working as an AD, you know, 12, 14, 16 hours a day and rinse and repeat 40 weeks a year. I mean, that was it. And then I got to a point where I just said, you know, it's time for me to make the move full-time mental performance coach. I loved being a high school athletic director, but after eight years, seven years of doing that, there came a point where I just said, if I never pursue this full-time mental performance coaching, which I was doing, I had two full-time jobs. I was working, you know, hundred hours a week. It's all I was doing. That's why I weighed 240 pounds and had a 44 inch waist. Thank you very much. Right now I'm 100, 180 pounds with a 32 inch waist. So, you know, decisions determine destiny here, right? I mean, you can't escape good behaviors or bad behaviors. Um, they add up over time. So anyway, that was kind of the story. And then from there in 2013, uh, no, I'm sorry, 2011, when I, when I stepped away from doing, um, the high school athletic director's job full-time and became a full-time mental performance coach, even though I was kind of doing both of them full-time. Uh, I haven't looked back and 44 books written later and, you know, eight UFC world champions, a Heisman trophy winner for Cy Young award winners, forgot how many Olympic medals and NCAA national champions. And I don't say that to, to boast. I say that that's just, you know, what happens when you put your nose down and you work at the right tasks with the right mentorship from Ken Revisa to be able to just go. Unbelievable. Um, you know, we had Brett Yormark on the podcast talking about how we're in 
the grind business, not the glamour business, right? He was like, it's, it's, you know, if you think about sports, it's, it's the wrong G, right? It's the grind business and everything you just explained is, I mean, that's, that's not only the grind, that's grit. That's there's, there's a lot of things that just go into what you unpacked with your journey. And as you think about when you got started, there's a level of confidence that you had to have had to start working with all of these coaches, these programs at a young age too. And to, to have their respect, to understand uh, how to put yourself in their shoes, et cetera, as you know, you're walking through what your, your college career was about and not having actually done any of the things that you're talking about, right? Mm. How do you develop the ability to coach something that you felt like you didn't do yourself. Yeah. So, so I looked at, you know, I, I always thought about it as a grind and now I look back at it and I say, I wasn't actually grinding. I was sculpting. I was sculpting a process that gets results, right? I was sculpting myself through what I was teaching. I was sculpting my ideal life. If I had three days left to live, I do exactly what I'm doing. Uh, I might just do a little bit less and put a little bit more time into family. The, the ability to do something that you didn't do yourself. I think there's two, there's two ways to learn something. One, you've done it. And two, you've studied it relentlessly. And it's like, if you look at major league baseball, there's a lot of, of hitting coaches that were great hitters that can't teach hitting. And there's a lot of guys that couldn't hit at the major league level, but understood it. They just were a couple genes short of having fast twitch muscle fibers at the level they needed to, or, or whatever it was, but they understand it and they teach it because they're obsessed with studying it. So I was able to teach it because one, I saw it happening every day with Ken Revisa. And this is the difference between what I got at Cal State Fullerton and why I wrote a certification in mental performance mastery and why I believe it's the industry standard instead of going to get a master's degree. When I was at Cal State Fullerton Hearst, I got to see Revisa not only teach for three hours a couple of days a week in terms of, his, of being in his class, I got to go see him work with Fullerton Baseball, Long Beach Baseball, UCLA, the Angels. Every week he would have some athlete who he was working with Michael Powell, the guy who jumped the first down and set the world record, right? And he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, would come into our class and talk for three hours about the jump. Mike Sosha, manager of the Angels, would come in and talk for three hours about, you know, how he works the mental game into the Angels organization as a manager. I mean, it was incredible, the amount of people, the people that would come in there. And I just thought that's what they did in every program in the country. And come to find out, I get an email now probably once a week from a grad student anywhere in the country saying, hey, I'm interested in an internship or are you hiring, blah, blah, blah. And I always ask them the first question. I said, I have a standard response boom, that I send and say, hey, thanks for reaching out. Love to help grow the field. But my first question is, how much time have you spent observing one of your professors work with an athlete, work with a team, work with a coach? You know what the answer is? Usually zero. So they essentially are getting a textbook read to them for two years by somebody who's an academic and theorist, not somebody who comes in and does the damn work and does the practice and gets in the trenches and has been fired and has gotten scars from going through losing a super regional, going through and losing a UFC title fight, right? And, and when you have those experiences, um, I think you have a lot more to draw from. So the confidence that I took through seeing Ken Revisa do this every day, the confidence I took from watching Cal State Fullerton win a national championship, doing what he was doing the confidence that I got from going into a place like TCU and Vanderbilt and seeing those programs take off and use what they're doing and the feedback from great players and coaches being, you know, being really good. But ultimately, Hirsch, it comes down to, I never even asked myself if I was confident. 
Like I never even asked myself, is this imposter syndrome? Cause I was so damn into doing the work The confidence, like never even, I never even asked, am I confident? Like, I don't ask that question. Even today, I don't ask that question. I have as much self-doubt as anybody else. I just don't give it a vote because I just go, okay, that's irrelevant. What am I doing right now? I'm attacking this podcast. What am I doing then? I got nine one hour coaching sessions and I'm getting in a car, driving to the airport and going to go speak in LA tomorrow. And I map out every minute of my day. And when you map out every minute of your day and what you're going to do to be most productive, you don't ask yourself if you're confident, you ask yourself, what do I need to be doing right now in this moment that lives in alignment with how I'm going to dominate this day? And when you take that type of approach, you don't give self-doubt a vote. You don't give questioning a chance. You just line it up and you attack it just like you do on the field one pitch at a time. And when you think about how you go about your days, I mean, you, you just mentioned sculpting, right? And sculpting out, you know, your skills, your journey, how you coach. When you sculpt out your day, like what's what's a lesson for those that are listening that are in in the front office right now, um, you know, that, that don't use their calendar and don't study their calendar and don't map out their days. And then they look, you know, they look back at the week and they go, Shh, what did I do? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'll tell you. Yeah. 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 I'd say stop bringing your B game and thinking you're good. Right. Like have the humility to go. I'm not good enough where I can wing this. The competition's too good and the job means too much to me to wing it. I have to plan out my day, assign every minute a task. And when I'm assigning those tasks, I have to invest first into what I call the four fundamentals of optimal living. Eat, move, mindset, sleep. So when I craft my day and I craft my day, I start with, if you can give me screen share opportunities for your hearse, I'll show you what this looks like. But when I craft my day, it starts with my sleep block, right? And here's what my ideal day looks like. And this is my message to the executives. If you don't know what your ideal day and week looks like, you can't have one. And if you don't can't have an ideal day and ideal week, you're never going to maximize your potential and give the most value you can to the organization that is employing you. And people say, well, I, my life's a firefight. I'm always putting out fires. That's because you haven't created boundaries and structure for your day. So you're constantly reacting to the day instead of dictating the day. You're playing defense instead of offense. And a great day of offense starts with a great night's sleep. And a great night's sleep starts with a PM routine. So here's what the ideal day looks like. PM routine where I shut down. I go to sleep. For me, I try to get in bed at 8.30, up at 4.30. I then go into a morning routine, which is like feed the dogs and kind of just get things going for the day from about 4.30 to 5. And then I'll go into our home gym and I'll work out usually mobility and some strength training from about 5 to 5.45. As I'm doing that, I'm listening to a couple podcasts. I'm listening to a couple pieces of an audio book as I'm moving around. Then it's out the door 5.45 to 6.30. Try to go get some running in and cardio in because I feel like that helps me to wake up. Still listening to podcasts, audio book, or sometimes nothing. Sometimes it's phone calls. I come back home, boom, go in, wake up my daughter. It's one of the things I track every day. Did I give my daughter a bath? Did I put her to sleep? And did I wake her? up and I'm not as good at it as I need to be, but I'm getting better since I started measuring it. I'll wake her up, put her in the stroller, boom, back out the door. Try to get another 45 minutes of walking in and there it's, you know, sometimes reading, sometimes talking to her. She's 14 months. She has no idea what's going on. Well, she's learning or it's making phone calls. And then sometimes my wife will come out and join us. And then it's good family time back in. And I try to have family time from like mm, 730 to 839 ish. Sometimes I got to get going earlier because I, I run out of time. And then it's basically deep work in the office from call 8.30 till about five. And then I try to get out at five. It's usually closer to six. I got to get better with that. And then it's into family time. And then it's giving my daughter a bath. It's about 6.30, 7 o'clock. 
hang out with my wife until about eight, get ready to shut down, go to bed, rinse and repeat, and try to do that seven days a week, 365 days a year. Now I do travel a lot, right? I'm tra- I, before pandemic, I was traveling 250 days a year. So now it's cut back significantly. But when I do travel, I try to travel like Thursday. I'll work that same routine until Thursday, get on a plane Thursday night, go somewhere Friday, and then get back Friday night or go somewhere Friday into Saturday, get back Saturday night. And then I try to reserve Sunday for golf and deep family time. But that to me, it comes down to, do you have a plan for your day? And do you map out in that plan time blocks, which comes from the book, Deep Work by Gary Keller. And you can see here, these are all the different blocks that I have for my day to stay somewhat looser. If I go back to last week, you'll see every, every task is assigned, right? The other thing I do is I go up here I click on more insights and I get to see, okay, I had 19 hours of family, family time, roughly uh, 20 hours of deep work, zero hours of in-person coaching, 26 hours of virtual, 14 hours of exercise, six hours into marketing, 58 hours in the sleep, boom, boom, boom. And I can, I can track that, right? So that's a, that's on, that's a process that's under review. Got to get better with, with sticking to that. But I feel like to get the most out of your self, you have to get the most out of your time. And the only way you get the most out of your time is to one, structure where should my time go? And then two, evaluate where is my time going? And if you can get closer to where should my time go and where is my time going and your time is going to where it should go, that's how you maximize productivity, but also how you maximize fulfillment, right? That's how you get the most out of what you're trying to do on a daily basis. No, I love that. And and for those who are listening, I mean, Brian just had seven different colors on his calendar on a daily basis, all filled out, right? It was just, I think, yes, there is the level of detail that you need when you have all those different things going on. And if someone says, well, all I got is my job and a hobby and, you know, that that's that's it, right? Like, I don't have as much as you going on. What, what do you say to that? How, how do you maximize your potential regardless of the fact that you may just have less going on, but you're, but you're more focused on one thing? I would say, why do you have less going on? How good do you want to be? You know, and then the time that you do have where you don't have anything scheduled, how can you leverage that time and maximize that time? Because if you got time to watch TV, you got more time to write a book. If you got time to watch TV, you got more time to exercise. Are you in the best shape you've ever been in? If not, that's a problem. Why is that a problem? Because it's controllable. But what does it do when you get in better shape? You have better energy. You have better, you have better battery to work longer. You have better stress tolerance and resiliency. You're going to think faster. You're going to have more confidence. You're going to be able to then eliminate some of the things where if you're working out every day, you're probably not then going to go eat like crap. And you're probably not going to drink a ton because you're going, well, I don't want to play for a tie here. Right? So if you say, well, I don't have that much going on, I'd say set bigger goals. I love the play for a tie. (laughs) The, yeah. the eating to, uh, or the working out to eat, to drink, to to whatever, right? It's like, if if you ultimately prioritize, right, the eat, the sleep, like you'll, you, the work will, will be a lot easier than it, it would be otherwise. And I think that's one thing that, you know, as you know, just as well as anyone else in, in, in our industry, you're, you're working a lot of hours. There's a lot going on. It never really stops. And so that's something that gets put to the back burner. You talked about the 44 inch waist and, you know, the the extra pounds, right? Like, how do you, because then it becomes a, well, then I'm on this diet and then I'm doing this and and, and it becomes called streaky, right? Like there is 
streaky waves and roller coasters throughout the life as opposed to the let's just call it what it is boring right routine uh habits it's it's fun but it's boring at the same time because it doesn't change because that's what it takes to be successful well and you got to shift your mindset that, that from boring being a negative thing to boring being what made tom brady great to boring being what made stephen king a great author the boring being the hallmark of success and genius, right? And pretty soon what happens is boring is no longer boring. It becomes how you like to live your life. It's the idea that working out early in the morning takes a lot of discipline until that discipline turns into desire because you actually like how everything else the rest of your day rolls. So, you know, and I only say, and I say this Hurst, from experience like this, when I was a 44 inch waist, 240 pound fat guy, all right. And I, and I, I will be unapologetic about this. And if it's not politically correct for someone, they probably need to hear this. Okay. Is I'm a 240 pound fat guy, given the world, my B game thinking I'm grinding and working hard and not making time for exercise. And you have to understand self-care is not selfish. Self-care is essential. If you're going to be the best version of yourself. And the only way you're going to be world-class is to be the best version of yourself. Otherwise you think you're giving your a game, but you're really not. And I'm an AD in Vermont at the time. And my mentor, a guy named De Dr. Declan Connolly, rest in peace. He comes up, he's a, he was a superstar. I mean, this guy was a professor at Vermont. This guy worked with the New York Rangers, worked with Olympic teams on exercise physiology. And he says, Mr. Kane, I'm going to come up to the school. I'm going to talk to your coaches and athletes. And I'm going to bring my bike. And there's this great lake that, you, that your school's on. We're going to ride our bike around that lake. I hope you've been training. And he did Ironmans. He did, was like a superstar, right? The Irish guy, rugby player. Love Guinness. And he, uh, he comes up, he brings his bike and we go for a ride and Hirsch three miles in. I can't even see him. I'm crushed. Gone in the wind. Gone. He turns around, comes back and he looks at me and goes, Mr. Kane, you have not been doing your training. He goes, you're not investing into yourself and it's the best investment that you can make. He goes, look, I'm going to tell you something. I've been around these pro athletes my entire life and they can smell shit. And if you don't live what you're teaching, they're not going to hire you. They're going to laugh you out of the room. He goes, leaders are not fat. You have to get your shit in shape. And that hurt. And it was exactly what I needed to hear. And from that moment forward, I said, okay, doc, I need a plan. Give me a plan. Cause I got no plan. And it's what I love about doing 75 hard. I'm doing 75 hard right now. It gives you a clear plan, plan to follow. So if someone's looking for like a reset on life, get into 75 hard. And pretty soon what 75 hard becomes is lifestyle, not an event. So what he gave me, he said, stop drinking water and eating food past 7 p.m. because it's going gonna, it's gonna to allow you to get into a better, deeper sleep. You'll have better energy. And then he said, sweat before screens. That's it. Start there. He said, stop eating past 7 p.m. and drinking water past 7 p.m. You'll get better sleep. And then when you wake up, first thing, go sweat before you get in front of a screen. Because as an executive, how easy is it to get up, get on your phone, and next thing you know, whoop, you're getting sucked into work or something else that you're thinking about. Instead of get up, don't get on your phone and go get a sweat in. And those two things, stop eating before at seven, sweat before screens, dominoed into, I've done three full distance Ironmans, probably 30 half Ironmans. I've ran a 100 mile ultra endurance race at the Lighthouse 100 a couple of years ago in Michigan. One of my favorite things to do is to work out every day, right? And, and that was not always that way. That, that was by decision, right? That was a change because I realized through going through that transformation, how much better I was for everyone else that I got to serve by taking care of myself first. And 
I think that would be a message for everybody is like, look, look in the mirror and stop making excuses that you don't have the time to go work out and take care of yourself every day. Cause when you do, you'll create more time because you'll think and work faster and you'll eliminate some of the bullshit that's taken up your time. So true. And there's so much to not only the physical component, but the mental component, right? Like just because you're getting a workout in doesn't mean you're also working your mind, right? And you're, and you're bettering yourself from a mental standpoint. Um, there's pros and benefits to, to it all, right? It's not just the physical physique um, aspect of it. It's, it's everything else. The one thing I would say, Brian, is you, you know, look, you've worked with all these different athletes, coaches, executives, Olympians, you're coaching them, but you are obviously learning from them as well. So what are the couple of things that you've learned along the way in your journey from those athletes that you've worked with, uh, from the executives that you maybe learned early on from them, and then you've been able to implement with others that you've worked with later on? Yeah, I would say that they're all very different. I mean, from from Cowboy Cerrone, who was one of the all-time leading win, you know, fighters with wins in the UFC, to George St. Pierre, who's a Hall of Famer. They're both Hall of Famers, right? I mean, you take Cowboy, Rich Franklin, George St. Pierre, all UFC Hall of Famers, very different, very different. But the one thing that they all did, and this is where the 10 pillars came from hers, is they all had an underlining foundation, had these 10 skills. And to me, these 10 pillars are what I call the 10 skills of mental performance mastery. They all had, they had an elite mindset. They had motivation and commitment that was off the charts. They had a focus and awareness on what they wanted. And when they got distracted, they pull it back. They had self-control and discipline to make the right decisions and do them consistently for a long period of time. They kept the process over the outcome. They used meditation and mental imagery to be in control of themselves and prepare. They had routines and habits of excellence. They had time management and organizational skills. They had leadership skill and they surrounded themselves with the right people and the right culture. So those 10 skills, I feel like are the things that over the course of my career, that's what I was observing with these great coaches and these great athletes and these great teams and organizations. And as I started to go to these different places, I was bringing in a system around one pitch at a time and mental performance, but I was seeing what else they were doing. And I was also an, I'm an avid reader and studier and I do a podcast. And the reason why I do a podcast is I get to interview great coaches and learn from what they're doing. And through taking all that experience, boiling it down into there's 10 skills you have to develop if you want to be the best version of you. And those 10 skills, again, are a mindset, your motivation and commitment, your focus and awareness, your self-control and discipline, your ability to put the process over the outcome, to do meditation and mental imagery, to have routines and habits of excellence, time management and organization, leadership and the right culture. You put those 10 skills together and you have a foundation and a program to become the best version of yourself. So that's what I've seen amongst all these people. And to summarize it into one word, it'd be obsession. Obsession not with an outcome, like with a title belt or a World Series. And when you saw Bill Belichick win a Super Bowl and he gets interviewed on the field covered in Gatorade and confetti and he goes, hey, what we just did was great, but in all actuality, we're six weeks behind the next season already. That's real. And what that is, is that's an obsession with being the best version of yourself. That's an obsession with being better today than yesterday, better tomorrow than today. That's an obsession with greatness, not with an outcome. Anybody can be obsessed with an outcome. Any motivational speaker will say, keep your eyes on the prize. And I'll say, you'll trip over your next step. Focus on where you're at right now. Take the next step. Just make sure that damn step is in alignment with where you want to go and who you want to be. 
the obsession of the process, right? And, 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 and the habits and the waking up, you know, early to go work out, whatever that, whatever those things are. But I want to talk about the obsession real quick, because one would say, how do you, well, how do you not be consumed with the obsession to where it affects other impacts, uh, other aspects of your life, right? How do you make (laughs) sure that the obsession doesn't leak into, Hey, that's the only thing as part of your identity. That's the only thing that you care about, right? Like as as you, as, as you think back to now, granted, what makes some of these athletes at the highest level great is they have to be obsessed. And that might be Boom. part of your answer. It is. That is exactly but my answer. How do you as an executive, right, get to the point that you are without it being the only thing that you can care about, the only thing that you're obsessed about? Well, how? I'm not sure if you can. All right. And that's probably not the answer your audience is looking for, but that's the real answer. The real answer is single singular purpose of focus. And I'm an executive. And if I'm a parent, I'm a parent. And if you get started too early as a parent and you don't have enough time to pour into being an executive, sometimes that becomes a hindrance to progression in your career or becomes a hindrance into progression of your family. Right. That's why I didn't have my first kid till I was 45 years old and 44 years old. And, you know, I, but it is it, obsession. And it's, it's singular focus. Now, sometimes that singular focus can change, but this is not about being well-rounded. This is about being world-class. If you want to be well-rounded, this, this podcast is not for you. This episode is not for you. If you want to be world-class, this is exactly what you need to hear. Because there's a big difference, Hirsch. And this idea of work-life balance is a myth. It's about work-life integration, and it's about fulfillment. And fulfillment comes from pursuing a task that has meaning to what your life mission is. And my life mission, to educate, empower, energize other people to be their best through living and teaching the 10 pillars of mental performance mastery. So every day I get to do that, I'm living in alignment with my mission. This is not a job. This is a mission. When you go to a job or you go to work, it becomes hard to put in 14 to 16 hours a day. When you have a mission, it becomes hard to not put in 14 to 16 hours a day. So you have to structure your time and then then honor that time to say, okay, here's my family time. Here's my exercise time. Here's my work time. And the biggest challenge I have, and I don't wear this like a badge of honor. I wear this like I have to freaking get better is I have to take less time for work and more time into family. When it was just me or really just me and my wife, eh, I could get away with it. I'm not getting away with it now. I don't want to get away with it now. I got two kids that I want to pour my life into instead of pouring my life into everyone else's kids. But I'm going to continue to do both of those. I just have to do them with more intention. But I think if you're going to climb the ladder and be the best version of you, that there is no balance. It, it, it not, and for a short period of time, it's what I would call turbo mode. And turbo mode is I'm going to work 18 to 20 hours a day sometimes because I have to get through this mountain of shit that has accumulated on my desk that I need to get through. You don't survive in turbo mode all the time, but you have to go into that bunker on an occasional basis to just grind and get things done, to sculpt and get things done, to work and get things done. Because if you don't and you're the person who uses the excuse, I don't have enough time, it's not that you don't have enough time. It's you're not good enough with prioritization and how to manage your time. So look in the mirror, make some decisions because your decisions determine your destiny. I love the integration piece because we've, we've talked about that a little bit, but also the combination of integration and intention, mm-hmm. right? Like I think your intention piece uh, in terminology is huge because if you're not intentional about it, it's going to pass you by quickly. Um, and if you're not focused on it, right, like we, you, you've kind of alluded to, 
and you're not intentional, um, you know, that's, that's the biggest, you know, pitfall per se. Right. And so, um, Brian, awesome perspectives, awesome insights, you know, really appreciate it. Uh, if you're not fired up by this, I don't know what you're going to get fired up about, but, um, you can reach, uh, Brian at Brian can or Brian Kane peak. Um, Brian, where, where else can they find you books, podcasts, yeah, best thing is, is is so follow me on social, right? Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, at Brian Kane Peak. Check out my website at BrianKane.com. I have a free three-day coaches course, which I think executives would be into. And then also I have a daily podcast called Mental Performance Daily that they can pick up anywhere where they're pick, listening to this podcast. And Hirsch, maybe we can put a link to those in the show notes below. And then, you know, two to three minutes a day of mental performance uh, wisdom and juice coming your way. Cause if you're juiceful, Hirsch, you're useful. And if you're juiceless, you're useless. So we got to build the battery. We got to build that juice and we got to bring it every day. You better have a shirt with the, with that, with that statement right there. That is amazing. Uh, shirts, hats, we know Brian Kane apparel line coming to you soon, but, uh, Brian, nonetheless, really appreciate it. Thanks again. And you're welcome on anytime. Thanks Hirsch. Thanks for tuning into today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suja Organic. Remember to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Subscribe and follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at Life in the Front Office. And don't forget to get your 15% off Suja at sujaorganic.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And stay tuned for next Monday's episode with a new guest and new content.